0: welcome to another episode of Above the Clouds. I'm your host, Daniel Humphreys from Lawrence Harvey. And today we have a little twist in store for you. It's our first in-person episode. We are very lucky to be invited to the head offices at PwC UK here at Embankment Place. So this is the show where we delve into the fascinating future of cloud technology. I'm joined by Bonnie Adams, uh, Women in Cloud uh, leader at PwC and Director of Cloud Transformation for Financial Services, and her esteemed colleague, Rob McCargo, uh, technology impact leader and one of the drivers of AI at PwC here. So welcome guys thanks very much for having me thank you Um, great to have you both on the show Uh, for our listeners at home would you mind uh, kicking us off with a bit of a uh, impact background about yourself
1: okay so um, my name is Bonnie Adams I'm a Financial Services Cloud Transformation Director uh, within PwC, obviously in the UK firm. Um, I lead on uh, large-scale transformations, primarily within the banking sector, but we also obviously touch insurance and other types of financial services organisations. Um, within the context of the broader organisation, I work really closely with Rob uh, within our Cloud Centre of Excellence function that we've just uh, stood up in the last sort of year to 18 months, and. Um, as you can imagine, we are incredibly busy at the moment helping our clients with that transformation journey that they need to go on. Um, Prior to this, um, I worked client side, so I was on the banking side. um, And I've probably been in this industry now for about 26 plus years, which is kind of a little bit scary. And me kind of sharing my age when I probably shouldn't. (laughs) True Um, (laughs) But yes, I work really closely with Rob on on all things uh, cloud and obviously Rob takes care of the AI side of things hence he's tag-teaming with me today. Fantastic. I'm going to hand on to Rob.
2: (laughs) Yeah, thanks Daniel. Thanks for coming in and uh, great to have this conversation today. So I've been with the firm about eight years, um, heavily involved in driving a lot of our artificial intelligence work um, and and clearly that's become quite a big deal recently. I haven't really heard of it. No, no, no. Maybe we could elaborate further over the course of the next half hour. but uh, So, really, the interesting opportunity now is how clients of ours are on this journey to the cloud.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the impact, in particular, of recent developments and things like generative AI have really brought this to the fore, but it's quite clear that many organizations still have a long way to go to get there mm-hmm. in terms of cloud infrastructure, data strategy, and getting the core ingredients in place. Yeah. So, um, a lot of my work is uh, driving out market activation around cloud, and in particular, AI on top of that as well. Fantastic. Uh, Fascinating area. And for me, not really coming from a a traditional background in technology, it's been a great journey looking at the broader impact on things like the workforce, Mm -hmm. on the ethical considerations of technology, and the bigger picture around regulation and how this will evolve and impact the very essence of business models and society at large.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I know this is above the cloud, so I'm trying to make this as cloud technology relevant as possible, but of course, AI is a huge thing in the industry right now, and they're obviously very closely related uh, spaces. is this something that took you by surprise a little bit? You think, you know, this this movement into AI, you know, were you were you expecting it? You know, how's it how's it come about?
2: I mean, from my side of things, it's been, I'd say, a relatively uh, niche topic for the best part of five to ten years now, Uh, it's often felt I was there to do the party trick at the end of (laughs) of 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 an event, you know, bring some futurism to the occasion. But it felt like a lot of organizations were nowhere near actually starting to make good on the opportunity Mm -hmm. by it. Mm -hmm. What we've seen with the advent of the scaling growth in data, in cloud capability. And now with the democratisation and usability of these technologies is an absolute tidal wave of growth around this now. And every 10 minutes having another incoming conversation on this, aren't we, at the moment? The the thing that surprised me, actually, is actually where the interest is coming from. Mm -hmm. So this now is cutting across all parts of business, isn't it? We're Mm -hmm. talking as much with HR directors one day, the boards of directors, business schools and beyond Mm -hmm. so you're finding actually that the interest is coming from all quarters Mm -hmm. of business and society at
1: large yeah I'd agree with that. And actually, the whole cloud um, conversation is essentially an enabler to to the speed at which that thing has now taken off. Um, If you look at the ways in which you would leverage AI capabilities, there is an element of making sure that you've got the right underlying infrastructure and hosting in place to enable it. And so what the cloud has done in some cases is accelerate that Mm. and enable it to happen. Um, Organisations that would have naturally been a barrier to that sort of innovation and now able to leverage marketplace services from the csps or cloud service providers and essentially uh, put in place things that maybe sort of even 2 3 years ago would have been harder for them to achieve mm-hmm. so so my feeling is well yes this is above the clouds, Um, actually, it is really pertinent towards this and other innovation uh, activities that we can certainly see coming down the line. It's almost
0: like a a natural stepping stone from cloud technology, right? And, you know, that, that may have... We may have seen that that drive and that, that 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 increase in speed to, you know, this revolution in AI mm. caused by maybe even the start of the pandemic when, you know, that cloud infrastructure wasn't really in, pre- in place the same way it was until t- after the, uh, the pandemic. Mm. And everyone had to go to cloud. And then we saw that mm. massive acceleration of even three, five years, you know, advancing cloud technology. And that speed has almost carried us through, mm. you know, and that momentum has now got us into that place where generative AI is now, you know, it, it's. We were able to 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 to, to do it. Um, you know, do you think that the pandemic had a
2: had an impact in, in the same way that I'm saying? It it's had a very interesting impact on innovation more broadly, yeah. the way we work, where we work, and all of that. I think has fed into yeah. a, a need. But I think also you're realising that a lot of this innovation was driven by necessity for basic survival at a corporate level. Mm. Uh, we're speaking to many of our customers over the last few years who had certain technology investments years down on their roadmap Mm. but having to bring them into a matter of months and succeeding in that endeavour. So that pace of innovation has accelerated quite substantially in the last two or three years in my, my experience.
1: Yeah, and I'd say actually there are other trigger events that are still pertinent today, even, you know, without COVID in the mix that are, in effect, forcing us to change, as you say, they may be the investment profile or the uh, strategic direction of an organisation because of need and commercial viability, i.e. if they don't transform, there are others that are transforming faster and, as a consequence, they maybe won't exist in 12 to 18 months' time. So um, certainly the conversations that I'm seeing, not just within financial services, but more broadly, are relative very much to the macro environment that we currently find ourselves in and how that is now causing or triggering certain decisions to come in a lot earlier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, PwC recently announced a significant investment into generative AI. With what was it a billion dollars? that's a global investment, right? So, you know, how, how do you how can you share some some insights into how PwC might be. Be looking to use that investment, um, you know, and affect the various industries—not just technology,
2: but you know, broader as well. I think there's a number of components to the way that you go about investing in this, as evidenced by this fairly substantial investment we're taking. I think one of the key things we've got to work on is uh, is the way we enable the workforce internally. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge amount of investment that goes into that. We've set up a working group of over 6,000 colleagues around the world to effectively work out how to ideate and innovate around this technology. The key part as well, in addition to that, is the way we work with our alliance partners, in this case, Microsoft, Mm -hmm. uh, to to scale the opportunity and enterprise. And a key part of that also is into the models we're now going to work directly with OpenAI on with that investment. So the number of different components to that that comes into the equation. The interesting bit here, though, is around the back to the innovation point where does the innovation come from how do you triage those use cases how do you avoid too much of a centralized mindset to this so Mm -hmm. one of the things we've tried to get right first is making sure we've got the culture right across the organization because we know the best innovation comes from those different parts of the business Mm -hmm. but how do we avoid too much duplication of effort How do we really focus on the areas of the greatest value? And critically, I'm sure we'll get into this as well, Dan, is those issues around risk as well. Mm -hmm. Because we're now moving into uh, use cases of quite substantial regulatory consequence, significant enterprise considerations around uh, data privacy and protection and other issues. And there's very, very key issues around things like reputational risk as well so how do you move the dial on this to drive enterprise value in a sustainable way Mm. but in a way that builds trust with your stakeholders and your regulators and your workforce and your customers but allows you to move at pace to mm. keep that pace of innovation happening as well, so you're not left behind. Mm. So there's quite a lot going into that, which is around innovation models, uh, as well as uh, putting the guardrails in place to do this really effectively. That's, yeah, that's such a
0: on-point on topic at the moment. You know, The UK's positioning itself quite well, I feel, um, to you know, take advantage of that, you know, be that sort of Goldilocks between... Mm. You know what could be quite a draconian EU, almost. You know, in their in their position and a, and a bit more gun ho US. So you know, it looks like Rishi and and the team in the government are sort of positioning us quite well to to you know, be a leader in that in that position. Um, so yeah, very interesting space to be talking about at the moment. Um, but I think what we'll do now is we'll go on to the main segment of the show. This is essentially above the clouds. So uh, we'll be talking about some buzzwords, some that have already potentially come up already. Um, and uh, we'll be looking at those buzzwords and uh, you know taking a taking a stance of whether they are truly innovative and scoring them out of ten. So ten being, i.e. above the clouds, uh, five. In the clouds, it's cloud technology, uh, technology, but it's nothing, nothing innovative, and then uh, zero out of ten. Ground level, potentially BS, load of waffle. Yeah. So let's see, let's see where where we go. So we have our lovely uh, square cloud-shaped box here with some uh, with some things. So we'll start off. With uh, this one, so regulation, right? Okay, very innovative, almost, <laughs> almost ironic, you know. But uh, so uh, regulation, obviously, is a big, big, uh, big key aspect of, of cloud and AI at the moment. Um, yeah, what, what what sort of thoughts do you have on on regulation as a, as a buzzword in the industry?
1: So, I think I agree with you. It's not necessarily a buzzword in in, in the innovation sense, but it is certainly a um, driver to the requirements that the organisations leveraging both AI and cloud will need to kind of be mindful of. Mm -hmm. So, if you think within the context of financial services organisations, they will have, you know, usual GDPR regs and other things they need to consider, but then they're also facing into, you know, regulator conditions and concerns, Around things like operational resilience. Mm -hmm. So, how do you maintain service availability when uh, when services go down on the cloud, right? Um, And what's become quite interesting over the last sort of two or three years, um, I worked uh, with the European banks on how to look at operational resilience as a topic, for example, and how does that then get played out in innovation, i.e., what is the response from the cloud service providers to help support operational resilience requirements that are set by the regulator, whether that's in the EU or in the UK um, post-Brexit. So um, in terms of the innovations that we're seeing, we're seeing more access to things like um, serverless, uh, where you've got the ability to be able to consume services in any of the CSPs. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still quite a way away from it. You will see multi-cloud products on the market, etc. The issue isn't necessarily with the products themselves, so, you know, a SaaS provider deploying across all three clouds, great. It's the peripheral services that sit around the edges that need to be set up in order to make it an enterprise-grade level service. And actually, those services aren't necessarily easy to move between in the event of an incident or failure. So at the moment, I'm expecting, and I am starting to see this already, um, a raft of kind of changes and. Amalgamations occurring across all three clouds where they start to kind of align on certain conditions and services because um, the way in which the services are configured and consumed in each cloud can be incredibly different. Mm. And so, being able to stand up sort of two or three clouds in order to support an operational resilience answer actually at this point is really hard to achieve, incredibly expensive, and causes issues around actually when you try doing this under kind of duress, under incident, what. Is it possible? Could you even prove it out? Um, As I say, that's where I'm kind of seeing some of that innovation coming down the line. Mm. Um, On the other side, if you're looking at the more kind of global banks, you know, they're facing into things where, uh, you know, you can't host data for certain countries outside the country's jurisdiction. Mm. So those regulations prevent you from being able to set up a resilient position if there is only one set of kind of regions within that Within that country. So, what's the answer for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're being asked to be resilient, how do they kind of achieve that when it's only in one country? Because that's where the data needs to be for another regulatory condition. So, at the minute, you've got these kind of competing regulations coming out that when you try and architect for them or architect around them, it's incredibly hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so As I say, I can see that innovation pipeline coming down, almost looking at the opportunity that that then creates and trying to solve it through tech rather than trying to solve it through process. So that's the kind of innovation I'm seeing from regulation.
0: Yeah, lovely, lovely. How do you see the the intersection of cloud technology and and regulation, you know, either Enabling or hindering things like AI and generative AI in, in general?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the interesting um, myth to bust is that regulation has to act as a hard barrier to innovation. I think mm. this is often mm. cited, isn't it? And uh, clearly, bad regulation can hinder innovation, but there's plenty of examples where good regulation drives and accelerates it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's much more than just the, the hard regulation environment itself. Uh, There's so many other considerations here from the standards as well, which I think is something that's more agile to stand up. And when you start getting into some of the things that are directly accountable to your value as an organization, your purpose, and your broader ESG credentials, you're thinking about things like ethical frameworks, Mm. then there's a lot of noise in there about what good technology looks like, tech for good, responsible use of tech. And in reality, there's very little that's done to operationalize that in practice So you've seen this glut of ethical principles published in the last four or five years that talk about things like our technology should be transparent and fair and equitable and accountable and interpretable. But when you look to then implement that in a really hard use case in a bank body, you haven't got those necessary guardrails in place. So a lot of the work we've done is to try to put this structure in place of how to bring that to life. So I think I'm trying to sort of expand out further from purely the regulatory environment we're talking about here. And yes, as you speak to, there's clear differences geopolitically between China, the US, the EU, and where the UK sits in amongst that. Um, so, you're right, I think Goldilocks is the right approach. But don't think about this purely as a regulatory conversation. Think about the broader considerations increasingly when it comes to things like trustworthiness as an organisation. Yeah. No, I, think, I, think, I think you're right, definitely. You know,
0: regulation is, is, is good and, uh, in some ways. And I think you know, inherently, I, I, I like, naturally, I'm quite anti-regulation as a person. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, there's two two things that I'd say. You know, it probably needs to be some regulation. It'd be like nuclear weapons and AI. You know, you know, we've all seen Terminator. We don't want it to go too, too far down the wrong road. Um, okay, great. So, in terms of um, looking at, at, at regulation from a cloud perspective, you know, we don't, you know, again, want to focus on cloud. Obviously, you know, that's been something that, that we've been looking at for a few years now. Do you feel still feel like there's, there's a way to go with, with cloud technolo- uh, technology and the regulation around it?
1: I do. Um, we're definitely seeing stuff um, in terms of regulation going through the House of Lords and, uh, and other kind of committees that opine on that stuff you know, there are some open questions around whether or not the cloud service providers need to be regulated in the same way that the banks do. Mm -hmm. So um, critical service providers within the market, i.e. detrimental to the UK economy type stuff, um, they do need to attest to certain things. And so the open question out there is, well, hold on, if we've got some of the most substantial UK banks and broader now sitting on these services, do they themselves need to kind of attest to, you know, as I say, DR standards, whatever it security, who has access to the data, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and so actually what you might find is that because of the way the banks are having to respond, that becomes a bit of a catalyst to other decisions being made, like regulating the CSPs themselves. Now, how you do that worldwide, I do not know. I can only explore what it means right now for the UK and how those regulations might inform on the other side, I can also see question marks over things like ESG, because actually you could argue a more efficient setup, more efficient consumption of those services, and you know not running so many data centres in the UK would be a positive impact on the environment, for example. And actually, the banks themselves are having to attest to certain things within the ESG um, frameworks. So there is a bit of me that goes, actually, I'm seeing, you know, the regulation kind of being a catalyst, mm-hmm. but also the cloud service providers themselves needing to think about what that means for them, mm-hmm. their businesses, and how the regulation will need to be adopted in the future as more and more organisations start consuming those services.
0: Do you, do you, you know, with, with especially with financial services, and especially in the UK, you know, having such a you know, bustling financial sector, mm-hmm. you know, do you, do, you, do you see the UK as, as a leader in, in cloud regulation is, is like it is you know positioning itself with ai yeah
1: it and definitely it, is it definitely is it's the cattle it, it, it itself obviously has the conditions that were previously there from when we were part of the eu mm-hmm. there is a um there is a small divergence occurring in certain spaces but actually broadly speaking we're aligned and what the UE- eu is doing um i do think we can you know, as an organisation, along with our clients and customers, et cetera, work through how we can accelerate certain things. Mm-hmm. So if we're pushing on um, doors within the cloud service providers to stand up services that enable that portability at speed, and I, I mixed the two words on purpose here. So you, at one end, you've got you've got kind of resilience. So demonstrate to me that your services are, you know, fault tolerant in the event of mm-hmm. failure. At the other end, though, is the... I need to be able to exit those services within X number of weeks, months, because, I mean, the events that I get called out for are things like, you know, know, Google or Microsoft becomes a bank, and that plus the existing infrastructure and services that are sitting on there is just too much. Mm -hmm. It's a concentration risk. So... In the event that you either, you know, wanted to exit the provider and the trigger event was, you know, something like that, or actually you just want to move your services because you don't want to be kind of tied in so much. Um, there is an element of making sure that you're set up to do that. And at the minute, I'm, that's where I'm seeing the innovation coming in, i.e. you could go multi-cloud across three clouds, but as I said before... In reality, it's going to cost you a huge amount to do. You then ask in the question, what are you actually solving for? Is it resilience or portability? Um, And then if you start consuming the sort of non-platform as a service offerings and you go more IaaS, Um, you are, in effect, locking yourself into the services you're consuming at that level. So I'm kind of like, what problem are you actually solving? There's always going to be a a pendulum between portability versus resilience. And you can be resilient in a single CSP. So then the question is, what are you solving for? And usually I get, oh, I have to be able to demonstrate that I'm not locked into a vendor. Which, you know, when you play that through... It's either hybrid cloud, as we'll get to, or it is, you know, um, I have to have two clouds and I can flip between both. That is a really hard thing to do right now. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm seeing regulation.
0: Cool. So, uh, scores on the doors. Regulation, cloud technology regulation, AI regulation. How how, how innovative are we, are we feeling? it? How, how relevant is uh, and how above the clouds
2: are we? Uh, it's a strong 10 for me, I think. <laughs> oh, it wow, is. fantastic. Yeah. It
1: is because it's the catalyst. Yeah? yeah. The word regulation on its own, no. But actually, what it then drives in terms of behaviour and response, whether it's us as a professional services firm, you know, our clients or the CSPs, it can be an enabler for it rather than being seen as a boundary to entry. Excellent, excellent. Well,
0: that surprised me, I have to admit. <laughs> uh, moving on to our second subject. Now, if our listeners haven't figured out at home, it is hybrid cloud. <laughs> <laughs> what <a small> <laughs> so uh, we had uh, Tim Busfield on uh, the last episode who talked about multi-cloud. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe to start off with, what, what's, what's the main difference between multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, and what are the benefits and, 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 and cons
1: potentially of the difference? So my version of this is that I actually stopped using cloud in conversations. And I know that sounds really weird, but it's a bit of an oxymoron because it's just a pattern of hosting, right? Mm -hmm. So what you're actually talking about is where are you hosting your services and why?
0: Yeah.
1: And so what hybrid cloud is trying to solve is a bit towards the regulation piece. And actually... It could be towards things like data sovereignty, where your data resides in terms of it cannot sit outside the four walls of your building. Um, So actually what we're seeing within within regards to hybrid cloud is normally a response answer to a resilience question or a response answer to vendor Mm lock-in. So services like Anthos on Google and others on the other CSPs are essentially enable some services to uh, be able to be deployed. Uh, within your own data centre or, you know, a third-party's data centre that's not yours if you're consuming third-party services. But you've got to ask yourself the question, why do you need it? Yeah. And usually it's in response to regulation or resilience or some other pattern requirement. And So hybrid cloud is essentially your ability to consume both what's on public cloud and essentially, what's in your own data center or private cloud or A another, because right? there are lots of other, you know, cloud choices, Salesforce, um, or, um, Oracle Cloud at Customer. All of those are in the mix as well. Um, and so uh, the services in the innovation space that you're seeing coming out are trying to solve for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So being able to deploy um, Q, uh, Kubernetes uh, clusters in both, you know, AWS and your own DC, for example, well, why would you need that? And that again goes back to what are the requirements driving you for that sort of pattern versus A another. Yeah. So slightly different because multi-cloud obviously is two public clouds. Hybrid is obviously public and, you know, A another that may not be public.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, with, with, with hybrid cloud, outside of that financial services or, or regulated industry like healthcare or something like that, you know, what, what are the benefits for, for other industries that might not necessarily need it, you know, because they're told they need it? Um, yeah, do, do you have any examples of where it, it, there there are some benefits to it?
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a there's a psychology to deploying services in your own data center. But I think. If you're naturally nervous or you've got a risk-adverse organisation, so say you work in health, Mm -hmm. and the healthcare services have got obviously access to incredibly sensitive personal information, um, you might decide that the organisation's maturity and your current uh, view of the risk position is that actually you don't feel comfortable deploying it externally on public cloud because you don't necessarily trust that you've stood the services up in a secure way that couldn't be leveraged Uh, externally. And so what you might then do is test and learn internally with your engineers, you know, kind of get them a certificate of goodness, basically to prove that they've got that maturity and understanding. And in in those sorts of cases, doing it within, we call it your castle and moat, essentially, within your own castle means that you can be a little bit more, you know, prescriptive with what the security protocols and concerns look like, and you can make it non-internet facing, but you're still getting access to certain mark- marketplace services that allow you to innovate in a safe way internally. Mm-hmm. At a point in time when you've kind of proven a maturity and you've kind of gone up that, that maturity curve a little bit more, you might then go, well, actually, now we're going to kind of test it with stuff that's a little bit less sensitive, but, but allows us to kind of do it in a very controlled way. Mm-hmm. So I, I have seen it in the healthcare. I've seen it in government. Um, And so within the context of that, having a hybrid cloud environment that still allows you to innovate and consume those new services, but does so in a way that kind of enables the organization to transform internally as well.
0: So Rob, it's something that that could really enable you know the development of AI. You know, having that safe space yeah. to experiment and break stuff and 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 risk it all, uh, but you know uh,
2: have the power there to to actually to uh, use the technology at the same time. I, I totally agree. Yeah, and I think um, both at a sort of internal level, there's opportunity in those uh, safe spaces to uh, to sort of push the boundaries where you can before you put them into production. There are specific issues around scaling out into production, we've seen this quite some time, and that gets back to the Mm guardrails piece as well. But also back to the regulatory piece as well, there's now a lot of work happening across all the key regulators in the UK to look at a kind of a combined regulatory sandboxes as well. So back to this point around regulation driving innovation, there's definitely that appetite to do that rather than be a roadblock there. Mm -hmm. But this is quite an iterative innovation process, isn't it, Bonnie? It's not something where you can necessarily set out your stall with a traditional technology investment and see this particular outcome in 12, 24 months' time. There's going to be a lot of test and learn and fail Mm -hmm. that you have to sort of build in. And many organizations, in particular, quite regulated ones, haven't traditionally been that comfortable with that approach to acceptance and celebration of failure, if anything. Again, it's back to this psychology piece Mm -hmm. Um, that uh, isn't necessarily inbuilt in built into many organisations mm-hmm. like that. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, well, how do you see sort of hybrid
0: cloud progressing even further in, in a few years and enabling, you know, technology like edge computing, IoT, that type of thing?
1: Yeah, exactly right. Um, so you're going to see more and more of it. Well, the, the first iteration, so if you think uh, the Anthos beta version, I'm sure it was something like August 21 at Next was in my head. Mm-hmm. I may well be wrong, so apologies, Google. Um when we were exploring Anthos, uh, a previous organisation, we were looking at the use cases under which we would kind of you know, use those services. And at the time, I think the database services weren't available, but they had obviously done Kubernetes, they'd done some of the virtual machine estate, et cetera. But I think the roadmap then was to kind of bring more and more kind of marketplace services into the mix. The other thing that you're talking to when you're talking about edge and the ability to deploy those things is the fact that you can also then see them right mm-hmm. because it comes with a bunch of kind of peripheral services and um aws and microsoft have similar um, that means then that you're, again, going back to your risk position and your tolerance for risk, you can solve different pro- problems. You're going much further out into the network. Um, you're less constrained by the uh, network architecture as it is in, say, London, for example. So there are two co-locations on uh, west and east of London. If you're going to start consuming points of presence out there, you kind of want to be able to see that stuff. And then the use cases that might drive you for consuming, say, a 5G or a you know an edge case... It, it becomes more of an evolution. It sits on that ev- innovation curve again. Mm-hmm. Um, the only use cases that I've seen that have worked really well have been in the container space um, for now. That doesn't mean there aren't any more, and there definitely will be, for sure. Um, but it goes back to what problem are you solving? And I think as the banks are starting to look more and more at that kind of regulation piece, they will naturally be driven towards developing more and more services within the hybrid cloud and more and more use cases for where it should be. And I guess our jobs at um, PwC is to help them to understand within our alliance partners, um, what sorts of use cases are we seeing across industry, and how could a development of a hybrid cloud kind of um, architecture help with solving that, Mm -hmm. and where we can partner up and create um, opportunity within that space. I think what you just
0: touched on on there with the container Kubernetes pieces is something we were talking about with Ryan Kirk at Formula One, Mm-hmm. Where he was saying that the developments in cloud technology mm-hmm. um, was and it was actually now being passed back to on prem you know and they 're using a hybrid okay. um, you know setup and and, and yeah. so that 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 innovation with Kubernetes is now being used on prem where it was not being used before do you, do you see any other opportunities
1: like that yeah. you know in in the coming years yeah definitely do so um If you think about um, legacy organisations that are running old architectures, et cetera, um, a lot of them are configured in a way that is not necessarily suitable for cloud, right? So one of the migration patterns that you could adopt is a partial refactor of the application, but you need to kind of do something with the data or the other front-end hosted services. So you could do that internally first, and then you can use that as a migration pattern to move to the cloud, which de-risks is not a big jump. Rather than a massive jump of refactoring everything, um, you might find that the sequencing of the work means that you need to have you know, four or five other things to make that end-to-end customer journey work, right? Um, if that's the case, then being able to reconfigure certain services into, say, uh, Kubernetes or another that are using a hybrid cloud pattern would be a way to solve for that. But it doesn't mean that you're then taking the risk of like it's either, either or or you're doing both. And so then your pattern and your sequencing of how you get there changes, it de-risks it. And in some cases can speed you up because you start to consume um, the ecosystem and the services and the tool chain of the CSP in your own DC first. People get to learn how to use those services before you go to public cloud. Mm-hmm. And it's a much, I mean, it's more hops. But it's less risky and in some cases that makes more sense likewise certain technical services need uh, to consume uh, services next door to each other i.e they've got latency requirements that mean you can't just move them because it's too far uh, and it needs to replicate synchronously and i know i'm going technical so apologies (laughs) um but in those examples actually having you know partially refactored the service you want to move and but de-risking the migration pattern because you can do the other as well means that you haven't got to worry about that as a requirement anymore or it's less of an issue because it's part of your planning fantastic
0: so hybrid cloud where where are we where are we ranking it in the clouds
1: i think it's a five at the moment for yeah. me it needs to evolve mm-hmm. it definitely needs to evolve and i think the one prior to this would it could be a catalyst if if thought about in the right way
2: mm yeah it's a middle of the cloud i think i yeah. agree with that it's been around
0: it's still it's here around, still yeah. got a way to go yeah you know more, more work to do
1: yeah and people interchangeably mix up hybrid and multi all the time.
0: well you tell them bonnie <laughs> um cool so third and final topic today uh diversity and inclusion bonnie especially one i'm sure that's close to your heart but uh you know really 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 cool topic um Bonnie, to you as a as a women in cloud leader at PwC, what sort of strategies do you, you know? Do you see that you know enable that diversity and, uh, and inclusion and equal opportunities uh, for for women in in, in, in cloud tech? Yes,
1: yeah, so I've got some stats for you. So we we've redone these recently, haven't we, Rob? Yeah. So um, I think we it was sort of 26%, twenty seven seven percent of females in IT, but in cloud it's more like fourteen. Mm-hmm. So when we did some analysis to look at what what the uh, root causes were of why we're seeing that kind of drop off, I mean, twenty six percent isn't great anyway, or fourteen is even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer uh, was multifaceted, as you would expect, but one of the things that we saw was actually people moving towards cloud as a technology space may have had traditionally uh, infrastructure based backgrounds, mm-hmm. and so actually when you look at the demographic of and gender of individuals in that space that actually is not too far different to, to the, what we have today in yeah. cloud. She's just a natural evolution. So if I've done infrastructure all my life and tin and wire, moving over to kind of, you know, a cloud-based version of the art. So it was an easier hop, I would argue. So it was kind of one reason. Um, another reason, which we are looking at at PwC, so we're working with other third parties to explore this one, is the topic of IT in schools. So um, I didn't study IT Uh, at school. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because it's incredibly dry, right? Um, As a topic, it wasn't particularly exciting. And it is done so in a way that lends itself more naturally to logical thinkers. Of course, right? However, I find that um, IT can be used in an incredibly creative way, which fits beautifully with individuals who are more likely to be creative versus not. Um, And so that's kind of another reason. So the education that goes into schools and and actually the topics, when I've re-reviewed them at GCSE, still don't have a huge amount about cloud. They're still talking about binaries. There's virtually nothing in there for AI, by the way. Um, And so we're exploring what an evolution of training would look like if you was going to leave school at 16, maybe a T level, Mm -hmm. right, in the cloud or AI. How awesome, right? I'd love to be able to sponsor something like that. Um, and then when I think about the other things that I've personally done, um, and I talked about this actually at another event the other week, um, any CV that I receive, I ask HR to strip out the names, the genders, mm-hmm. where they live. I don't want to know any of it. Yeah. I literally just want to know who you are, what are your interests, what have you done, and why this job. That's it. I don't care about anything else. And I know that may or may not sit right with people, but in my mind, I'm like, if there was any preconceived unconscious bias that I don't realise I have, I cannot apply it in this context. Um, Even to the point of saying, I actually don't want to know how long they've been in a job because that in itself can be a barrier to kind of work.
0: Well, you're speaking my language as a, as a tech recruiter. Mm. So, you know, plain black, white CVs. Yeah, you perfect. know, I saw a CV uh, the other day, which was an advert for uh, an Amazon uh, product, oh. and then a CV it was ghastly. Oh. I had to send, him, send it back to him and say, please change this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. a bit like just going on what you were saying of, uh, about sort of um, that infrastructure to cloud, you know, you're, you're seeing that, that demographic yeah. transfer into cloud almost similar to that but almost a counter to that we're seeing the natural uh progression from cloud to ai yes um do you think that 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 progression into ai will fo- yeah, and the creativity opportunities around will foster you know uh you know an increase in in women uh, joining joining yeah. the tech industry
2: I, I can weigh in on that if you like bonnie i mean Please. i think it's getting to the point where it has to as you think about actually what the very definition of a technology role looks like these days, uh, it's much more diverse in terms of the disciplinary skills that make it up. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about applying this to the AI function now, uh, the only way you're going to get good technology that's de-biased, that's equitable, that's serving the broadest part of your customer base, is having a representative workforce. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking here just about gender, albeit Mm -hmm. that is just as bad in AI as it is in cloud, Um, but it's thinking about some of those other skills coming to the fore. Mm-hmm. And if you think about some of the specific characteristics of generative AI around the training data, around the governance you put in place, around it, the way where the innovation comes from, this requires a really different approach to the makeup of who you bring it into the sector. To give you an idea, uh, one really high-profile project that we ran during lockdown was using biometric data uh, on our staff, all manner of considerations from a privacy and ethics standpoint to get this right. Yeah. And we had to be absolutely bulletproof with this. So the range of skills we had in there, the technologists came last. We had a medical doctor, we had a regulatory expert, we had, um, we had a, a HR practitioner, mm-hmm. that's quite tech savvy. Uh, we've got a team now of technology ethicists in the team, <laughs> we have, I don't know, it's <laughs> my teeth in this morning, but you know, a colleague of mine, Maria, leads out a lot of our work on ethics, which is now red hot, and then bring in the data science, bring in the machine learning capability at the back end to get those uh, safeguards in place. So if it's been that around, that's a really exciting place to be. Because similarly, I, I came from a science background. I didn't come in from technology at the start. Uh, and this is a really key way to drive um, diversity into the sector. And also thinking about social mobility, I think, which yeah. your approach to uh, CVs is really yeah. important to take into account now as well. So I'm, I'm really excited about the the. the diversification of the functional skills that make up a tech career now, because that means we're much more able to draw upon a, a great a greater pool of talent to take us forward. Excellent. So, in, in, you know,
0: beyond gender diversity, you know, there are, there are obvious challenges um, around things like neurodiversity and, and, and other minorities in the industry. How can organisations, um, like, you know, like PwC, but also the government and and, 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 and the broader broader society, you know, help foster a more inclusive environment um, for these other other groups uh, within society? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I've probably talked about this one before. (laughs) Um, And it's not a tick box exercise in any way, shape, or form. But um, I come from a socially diverse background. Um, Mum and dad were working class East London, um, if you have not guessed by the accent. (laughs) Although it sounds very Essex now, so I don't understand that. Um, And I was diagnosed with ADHD in February, uh, which I think I've always known about, if I'm completely honest. I always felt a bit different. and was saying the other week at another uh, event, always felt like I was a bit much, too much, always too much, too much in school, too much at home. So um, I get it, uh, I get it. And obviously, was a female in tech back in 1996. Uh, you know, barriers to entry you would argue were huge. Um, but what I, I do know from my own personal experiences, each one of those characteristics that that is part of who I am and part of my makeup um, has. Become a reason, i.e., in spite of. So I've gone ahead and pushed myself even when it felt incredibly comfortable. Um, you know, I've turned up uh, you know, client site, even when I've been petrified and I'm shaking. Mm-hmm. You know, every single thing that I've been through has been a catalyst to the version of me as I am now. So um I believe the more diverse the individuals that you bring in, the more resilient they are because they've, you know, had more knocks, they've probably got more internal narrative telling them they're not going to be good enough, uh, potentially, and I, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but in terms of thinking, and how that thinking helps organisations to transform, I, I genuinely believe the more diverse, the better, mm-hmm. in my mind, Um And actually, what I've seen is when going gets tough, they tend to be more resilient. Um, You know, they tend to bounce back quicker because they got used to it really early doors. Um, You know, and having to struggle, you know, at a very young age and not really knowing until now how that has shaped me and who I am and how I got where I am today. um, I think it's a really important thing. And so I regularly share um, what I've been through and everything else and, and, and the path that it's taken me on. And I'm, I corrected myself again two weeks ago when I said, oh, I'm really lucky. No, I'm not lucky. I worked really hard for this. Yeah, it wasn't luck. I pushed constantly, even when it felt uncomfortable. And so actually, um, would I take any of those things away? No.
2: The, the key now is, yeah, exactly. The key now is to make this, you know, not just the exception that proves the rule, but mm-hmm. to get in much earlier. Mm-hmm. So we spoke earlier about, like, uh, a lot of the issues we've realised from our research is, for example, girls have deselected themselves from the workforce as well as neurodiverse kids. So one of the most inspiring things I saw this year was I took a group of our team down to a, a, a school event that 800 kids in Tower Hamlet, mm-hmm. and one of the groups that brought in were neurodiverse kids and Chris from our team, he's uh, from our digital accessibility team, just role-modelling the fact Mm -hmm. that he's got a stellar career, he's right at the peak of his powers, was just, like, it's really moving. And, you know, I don't know about your school, I went to a comprehensive in Nottingham. We never had inspiring people come into school. (laughs) We had no idea. So if you're, you know, know, without a a view that a tech career is for you and you're from a minority background or a diverse background, it's a real double whammy. Mm. So I'm a big believer in getting early, inspire, put those Rommels in place and show off and show what great careers are available now. Because these are superpowers, aren't they? They are. It's not disabilities, yeah? I think I think there's definitely you know a balance. You know, obviously
0: there's 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 um, some way to go in, in supporting you know you know people with of all of all backgrounds you know to to, to feel comfortable um, in a role itself. But beyond that, you know, like you said, yourself, Bonnie, be comfortable to speak up, you know, and have that opportunity to to, to promote yourself and promote the other people around you uh, in that way. So yeah, no, definitely, definitely, uh, um, some way to go, but you know. It's great to see uh, f- examples like yourself doing so well. Um, so, um, diversity and inclusion, where are we rating it? You get more it's than a, 10. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, it's, <laughs> a, it's, a it's almost you can't, you can't rate that, can you? <laughs> no,
1: it's, and if you think of the use case around Gen AI, right, having really diverse views enables kind of Gen AI to be way more balanced. I've yeah. seen versions of that that have been incredibly biased because the individual's coding it. Yeah, yeah made it biased in the first place so actually we need that more than anything else to make sure that that thing is done in the right way
2: Uh, And one of those uh, key skills that will be required now are people that are the scrutineers of this technology Mm. anything that's got significant consequence or downside risk or heavily regulated environments is going to need humans in the loop and you need those humans to be able to get right into understanding the output of these uh, these algorithms and this is why you need the breadth of all these skills available
0: there you go, guys. Uh, diversity and inclusion, top of, top top score of the day. Um, but you know, great conversation. Uh, let's move on to our uh, next segment. A little bit of fun. My favorite part. Top of the ops. So this is uh, again a little bit of a poke fun at the industry. Yeah. Um, so there, there are so many ops in in the industry at the moment. Um, we all, we've all heard of them, so DevOps was, I think, was the, the main one, and then it was uh, SecOps and DevSecOps and GitOps and FinOps and, and whatnot. Uh, I heard one the other day, which was LLMOps, if you can get your tongue around that one. Um, and I, I'm not even going to attempt to uh, understand what that is at the moment and how it works, but I think it's piggybacking off of uh, MLOps, which is slightly easier to say. Um, but yes, top, uh, top of the ops, which one's, which one's yours? What's your favourite and why?
1: Um, right so now this feels really boring now that you've said now you've said that at the beginning so um it is actually finops yeah. because um if you don't do that bit right so you don't structure yourselves at a foundational level to be able to consume services so if you think a lot of organizations have gone from traditional capex based amortization over five seven years you know you know why why the tin down over time all of a sudden now they're being faced into more kind of monthly based like a phone bill type mm-hmm. thing with a you know an itemization of all the services you're consuming if your organization isn't set up to take that in and a lot aren't if i'm brutally honest um That's really scary Mm. because that stuff has to be accounted for somewhere, in which case it's on your P&L. And at some point, that is going to go out into the market, especially if you're a kind of, you know, FTSE 100 organisation. So staying on top of how your cloud spend and what the uh, appropriate conditions are, whether that's setting up the process, the people, the tech, the tool chain, whatever it might be, to be able to manage both whilst you're in your old style of finance during and in transition and then when you've kind of fully gone to the cloud is a really important enabler. And actually, when it's not there, it can completely grind the whole migration to a halt. And so um, whether you call it FinOps or, or whatever, making sure the conditions for success are set up in the right way to stop you from accidentally going, you know, the wrong way and everything being paused until you fix it is one of those things. And as part of that, making sure you've got a tagging and labelling strategy that even enables you to see the cost would be my top tip on that one. Excellent.
2: Excellent. Thank you. Um, And and Rob, it's a a very, very short one, Dan. (laughs) As someone from a Scottish... And Yorkshire background. Who grew up in Nottingham? AI ops. AI ops. There's too many vowels. It's just too many vowels for me to string out every every half an hour or so. So Tim.
0: So Tim. Last episode, he he touched on MLOps. Mm. So are you able to tell us the difference?
2: MLOps is, uh, is. Like I'll say it slightly better. Yeah. I mean, only in so much that uh, AI doesn't really exist. It's this enormous. Uh, brand name that captures everything happening at the moment, and so clearly machine learning has very particular features when it comes to this part of the work, and then it might get into Gen AI Ops, but then you're getting really complicated on the vowels on this as well. That's a, that's a new one you just coined Now you heard it here first. <laughs> Brilliant. Well,
0: um, that brings us to the end of the show and the episode. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, thank you to our listeners at home as well for listening. Um, tune in next month for another exciting episode and show. Um, I want you uh, both to, you know, I want to say thank you again for, for having us here both of you it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you uh, and, and having us on for the first epi- uh, episode where we're in person it's been an absolute pleasure um, and uh, you yeah, hopefully get to do this again at some point i um, going to put you on the spot here got a hot take to finish the episode on and leave our listeners with something to think
2: about give me a first Bonnie
1: yes yeah, right. you can chuck me under the bus fine <laughs> um, so uh, hot take so I was thinking this through um earlier on because I know you mentioned it so you might have to edit that bit out, way. um uh, and uh I think the hot take is be brave. Yeah. Right? Be curious, explore, um don't stop questioning, don't stop asking, don't stop looking. Um the evolutions that we've seen in the last sort of 20 25 years are because human race has been curious. Um, I think curiosity is a positive thing. And so actually um, enabling more individuals to be curious um, and to evolve us as a species um, and actually look at solving some of the more, you know, well, actually the really significant challenges that we've got to get over, whether that's the environment um, or sustainability or other conditions. But um, so the hot take is definitely be brave and be curious. Wow,
0: that's, I think that's the most profound and best hot take we've had so
2: far on the show. It. We? Yeah, well, I'm, I was gonna, I'm just going to very, very quickly build on that. <laughs> <laughs> I just yours further, money, But yeah, excellent. I think you can be brave and be curious. You can be sensible with this technology, but just bear in mind that the robots don't want to kill us so don't be <laughs> afraid just do it in a sensible oh, yes. way exactly. well, they, they'll, never, they'll never want to kill us so uh, just be sensible about it but it's some, there's a serious thing about the narrative we use around this mm. tech so much of it is noise and nonsense so focus on a calm, sober, central path down the middle avoid the hype and not try the, avoid the dystopia as well that comes into it and just be sensible about it I think that's a way forward Well what a lovely positive note to end
0: the show uh, thanks again and thanks again for listening at home bye bye